Welcome to the CT Startup Podcast, an insider's perspective on the startup ecosystem in the great state of Connecticut. I'm your host, Eric Francis, with David Menard from Earth of Kalina, Chris Tomorrow from Sublime Exposure. And today we have Makerspace CT and Deborah Sisitsky and Brian Patton. How are you guys doing today? Oh, great. Not bad. Hello Thanks for there. having us. Yeah, yeah. So tell us a little bit about Makerspace CT. Well, the Makerspace has been described as a community center with tools. Uh, basically, it's a place where people can come and have a place to work on projects and pr- develop products and things of that nature. It's about 15,000 feet, and it's going to be located in the Colt Building with the Blue Dome on the first floor. It's uh, membership-based. Uh, basically, you come in, you pay a membership fee, and you have access to all the tools and the equipment and also the training and classes to, to teach you how to use it all. Nice. And nice. we're looking at CNC machine shop, welding shop, wood shop, metal fabrication, electronics, robotics, art shops, ceramics, glassworks, green painting, even things lasers. like blacksmithing. Yeah. Nice. Ooh, nice. I can make my armor. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Wow. I've I would I've long wanted to make myself some chainmail. What? <laughs> I I, I, th- I think the image of Chris in a chainmail bikini is just <laughs> Ooh, la, that's la, only that's la, only in your head. That's, that's only in your head. Not not mine. <laughs> Yeah. Not the first time yeah. I had my yeah, yeah I Not bet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What form would a wardrobe failure take? <laughs> <laughs> that, would, that would be it. It protects nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so so like how did how did this happen? I mean, there's are there makerspaces going on in Connecticut? Absolutely. I mean, where w- There are about 7 makerspaces okay. in Connecticut and often they are started through a library environment. There are several that have sprouted up on their own without a library. Our makerspace is going to to be the one that's most heavily involved involved in hardware. Okay. You uh, what do you mean library like an actual like book library? Mm-hmm. So like a lot of library a lot of the makerspaces are like connected to libraries or were Absolutely. they were, were the librarians like nobody's reading books let's get them in here well, to make you, stuff. You jest, <laughs> but nonetheless. No. <laughs> <laughs> you jest, but it's important for libraries to remain relevant and okay. with everything online let's think about well where's a library going? So libraries have embraced and adopted makerspaces. Mm-hmm. You will find them all throughout Connecticut and in schools as well, in yep. library schools yeah, as well. Although often they are for the small, younger kids, elementary school kids, they're like popsicle sticks and glue. We are imbuing the idea of crafting and creating with your hands instead of ordering and purchasing online. Mm-hmm. And that's what's critical because we have become a culture of purchasing, conspicuous consumption, and no longer are we innovating, crafting, and creating. Mm-hmm. And that's the important thing, the takeaway, that you understand libraries are going to add to our culture. So now let's start thinking. So let's you, start getting these peop- young so people. So Makerspace Connecticut, then Library <laughs> Connecticut? Is that, is that natural progression? Is that where we're going? Oh, sorry, CT. Oh my God, I did it. I'm I did just it. thinking arts and crafts yeah. with power tools. Yeah, yeah basically. It's, yeah, it's not just libraries. Uh, a lot of museums and uh, school systems, like the entire town of Farmington. Yep. you know, has small maker spaces, and they're not all that high tech. They may have a 3D printer. They're not going to have welding and big CNC yeah. machines, but. Nonetheless, even in a small maker space, you can teach coding and Arduino, which are small microprocessors, and yep. these are things that'll take you a long ways. So really, so, engineering, right? Like, uh, yeah, engineering is definitely mm-hmm. becoming more mainstream, and it's gotten a lot easier and a lot more approachable. And some of the software packages will do things that previously were really difficult, like finite analysis and stuff. 
And, you know, the average person can probably figure out how to do that after a while. It used to be a big deal. It was like NASA-type technology at one time. So, so now, if uh, do I need a license or a permit? Or, like, how, how, what's to stop me from coming in and using your welding equipment? What do you... Basically, there's <laughs> nothing. <laughs> a, a membership fee. That's basically. I mean, I, I mean I'm just. I'm just saying. You know, I. I could knowing myself and my level of technical capability, I could easily lose a limb or something. So. Well, basically, we have safety and use classes for all the different shops. Uh, it is key card access to get into any given shop. You need to swipe to get in, and some of the bigger, more complex machinery may need a you know a key card swipe of its own to even okay. start it. So you either have to take a safety class or display proficiency in welding with all the limbs that you were given. Oh, fantastic! <laughs> okay, I can't meet that test. No, <laughs> is there a requirement you have to? I thought we were stuck here. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to admit, what's even cool is uh, Miller has something called virtual welding, where you put on a helmet and you look into a screen, and it's actually as though you're welding. Really? You know, so, you th hold... so that's how you train on it? Well, or... yeah, that's an initial thing that people can do without actually welding. And mm -hmm. we're going to have this on display at our fundraiser because it's nice. so cool. I right. Mean, you can flip your piece of whatever you're working on and check your beads and, and, and see what kind of a job you're doing. Yeah, yeah, and it's all virtual. You actually have a like a piece that you welded on, but there's no weld on it, obviously. But when you look through the, the helmet, you see it. And oh. you see the sparks flying and all that. Nice, nice. It's really pretty neat. So, uh, so how did you guys get here? So, so how did this come about? It seems like you're, <laughs> yeah. Well, other than a car, other than a car. I mean, there. Hey, flying cars just came out. I believe it was just today. So, I give just saw up some on this today. idea. I'm just saying. Okay. I'm just it's saying. It's dead. But. George Jensen. Yeah. Let me yes. 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 <laughs> flying cars. We're, we're almost there. We're almost there. Flying cars aren't dead. Yeah. So it's never it happened. Was about just four years ago, um, Brian. It was a, a really snowy winter day, and Brian was reading an article. We were sitting in the living room, and he was reading an article, and he was reading about maker spaces, and I thought about it for a while and I thought whoa yeah I said that's you you are the quintessential maker of course to preface that you'll have to understand that he had a bunch of stainless a few tons of stainless dumped in our driveway in Avon and he proceeded to weld in the middle of February a race trailer so he and the kids they race motocross and he wanted a race trailer so he proceeded to weld this in our driveway in Avon where we are extremely popular yeah. in the middle of which <laughs> <laughs> and, and but that was only one project yeah, i mean yeah. the projects go on no. from there he's got the 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 uh, t-shirt cannon which is very popular at t-shirt cannon you oh, yeah. made your own t-shirt cannon yeah we also have uh, air rockets those have been a huge hit at the various <laughs> maker fairs you know the kids glue them together and then they launch a good couple hundred feet so yeah. so brian not only welded this um designed and welded an entire race trailer with all the hydraulics mm -hmm. and a huge kitchen and a bathroom and everything in our driveway <laughs> but he builds houses as well so he is the quintessential and in 26 years i've never seen him get stuck on anything whether it was mechanical engineering electrical engineering um just making it up on the fly yeah, or whatever yeah. and so whereas many of us will take these huge documents and books and dust them and and use them to straighten out the carpet brian's the guy that reads them yep so well, um, yeah i never i never read directions <laughs> i never read directions. they're really good at flattening carpets so anyhow um i just said to him i thought about it for a couple days and i said you know this is you you have to do this you have to get involved in this this is your exit strategy for getting out of building houses and so from there, he registered us at the Maker Fair and Maker Con in San Mateo. And we went for a little over a week to learn about making 
yeah, maker fairs. Yep. And then we came back, and uh, the month later, he said, what do you want to do? And so I committed for, I think it was two years, to try and see if we could get this. I'm the business piece of it, so I committed, <laughs> I committed for two years to learn the politics and see how far we could get in moving this forward. Four years later, we're finally building out the space. Look at that. But that's grit. That's that's. Right, you became you became the tree leader, I presume, right? Actually, he's pretty good at that. I, uh, you know, I just talk faster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how did you guys settle on Hartford as a place that this was gonna, this is gonna happen? You I know, think based on need, in, in part. I mean, Hartford uh, really needs quite a bit. I mean, we we need new attractions in Hartford. We have the Science Center. We have hopefully the Maker Space. Uh, they're encouraging entrepreneurship. I think we need to do what we can. You know, the new ball team doesn't hurt. The <laughs> yeah. yard goats. Yeah. Yeah, but 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 it's a, but like let, let's get into that. Like, yes, Hartford has a need, or they want to become like uh, a you know a startup you know we need hub to and everything. But together. like, but right. again, but it's like it's like why Hartford? Why not Avon? Why not Farmington? Why not the other places? So let's and, be realistic yeah. about demographics okay. and things like that. So I'm looking at your demographic yeah. more than I'm looking at my demographic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and realistically. You want to be in a city. You want to have easy access. There's a reason why cities are cities. You know, mm -hmm. you want to have that easy access. There's a vibrancy to a city that everybody wants to be part of that movement. And we want to bring a lot of that movement to Hartford. Mm -hmm. We really want to bring people that are in the suburbs down to Hartford to work on this. Um, we want to be a connector to tie things together, to offer people like you guys that are starting your mm -hmm. startups um, a place where you can make a part. Well, mm -hmm. that was plugged into the wrong thing. The piece is broken. Oh, you know, you can run over to the makerspace and do that. But more importantly, can we talk about the cult building for a minute? Yeah. yeah. Because we looked at a lot of other opportunities um, and nothing resonated as much as the Colt building. Mm -hmm. And Brian, do you want to address Samuel and Elizabeth Colt for a minute? Because it's really <laughs> quite an amazing story. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the birthplaces of the Industrial Revolution right here in Harford. They uh, developed the use of uh, interchangeable parts. Uh, both Pratt and Whitney apprenticed that Colt before they went on to form Pratt and Whitney. Uh, Henry Ford apprenticed at uh, the Colt building. And it just seems very fitting that in the actual building where they build the guns and the printing presses and all the other things and developed all these technologies that we're bringing the making, the hands-on uh, skills and machining and so forth back to the Colt building. Um, you know, turn of the century, people could buy a, a house from Sears and Roebuck. They'd buy a kit <laughs> they and can, it would show yeah, up yeah. On, a, on a flatbed <laughs> and on a, on a train, and, and the average guy would put that house together, you know. And unfortunately, we've lost a lot of that. Um, you know, the parents may not know. They're not teaching their kids the skills, you know, how to fix the house, how to work on the cars. All that stuff is, you know, really gotten out of the mainstream, and I think we need to get back to it. Uh, we've actually reached sort of a tipping point, you know, like working on cars got harder and harder and harder to the point that no one could do it anymore. And now it's almost getting a little easier because now you can buy a computer and you plug it into your car. And well, it, yeah, if you know <laughs> that how to code. doesn't always yeah, yeah. work, though. No, but, but it's better than it was. And it, it'll, yeah. sure it'll get better as time goes on. So, you know, we've, it's actually starting to get a little easier. It's the mm -hmm. same with CNC machining. That was a career, sometimes as many as three careers. One guy to you know write the programs, another guy to program the machine, another guy to operate the machine. You know, now an individual in you know a couple months can become you know reasonably proficient with the software and actually operate CNC equipment. And that's amazing. Mm -hmm. 
You know, I have a small five-axis machine, which was $4,000. It was a Kickstarter um, device, and it actually works really well. And it's well, just it's amazing. It's a desktop. Yeah. 40 pound desktop five axis oh, nice. machine. It's That's beautiful. You know, oh uh, Eric, that reminds me of uh, one of your favorite comedians, Joe Rogan. Yeah. He used to have this little bit about, uh, you know, how, how, how people just they can't make anything anymore. He says, yeah. he goes, he'd challenge the audience and say, okay, if I give you a flashlight and an axe and send you into the woods, how long before you come back with a cell phone? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is true. I mean, it is true. It's like, oh my I God. mean, when it comes down to it, I mean, I, I talk about the Sears catalog. I remember flipping through like an old Sears catalog and it's just like, you, wow, this is like, what you could buy anything. Like yeah. it really was anything and you had to order it and it came, you know, months and months later. But, um, but also, I mean, when you're, when you're talking, you're, the way I look at a makerspace is almost like making vocational, like cool. Like, you know, like you talk about, you know, vinyls and the vocational schools and everything. They're teaching plumbing, they're teaching um, uh, HVAC, they're teaching welding, all that kind of stuff. And to a lot of people, those schools are just like, that's my career. If I go to it, that's my career. I'm dead set on it. I mean, that's right. that's kind of the mentality. So I always thought it was makerspaces was, was a, again, making those trades cool again because. And so let's talk about the entree to those trades, because when you look at our makerspace, we're not a technical school or anything yeah. like that. However, we are incredibly aware of the skills gap. Yeah. So there aren't that enough people in these industries to take over these industries. Yeah. The average age of a plumber is 59 yep. right now. So it's problematic. We look at ourselves as more of a feeder to those types yep. of schools or maybe even just an entree. Somebody goes, you know, I kind of would really like to learn how to weld because I'd like to become a sculptor. Um, here mm -hmm. they can go in and in a small, high impact, short duration of classes, yep. people can get their hands wet, they can learn about it, and they can see whether it's something that attracts them or not. It's and the same thing with digital fabrication or making car wraps or so many different things that here's an opportunity to go in and get exposure to these things and see if it's something that appeals to you. Because we have another issue in Hartford, and that's certainly the 18 to 34-year-olds that never really had an opportunity for a number of reasons to go to school. Um, to go to, you know, advanced mm -hmm. secondary college, et cetera. So this gives them an opportunity to lift themselves up in a way without making a huge time or money commitment. Yeah. And, and just to go back, you know, using welding as an example, you know, that's a that's a great example of a skill that is still useful. It's not going to be replaced by robots tomorrow, at least. And it's something you can build a career around or a hobby. I, I have an old car in my garage at home, and it's half rust. I need to learn to weld, but... My options are going to, you know, these very expensive vocational schools are just kind of winging it. I've been winging it. I burn myself <laughs> in my eyes quite often. So, you know, I'd rather so go you to have the space. Needs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have needs, Devra. The maker space will offer courses, you know, for two or three hundred dollars. You know, it's not a huge commitment. It's yeah. not going right. to take up a half a year. But you'll be welding the first day. You may not be great at it, but you can continue to learn when you're in the maker space. And that's it. You know, the, the most important thing is to start to get hands on and then to grow your knowledge and grow your skills over time. And and I think that's just a, that's a really nice part of it is the opportunity to try these things out and it's not going to cost me an arm and a leg. You know, I was looking at courses that were going to cost me twelve to $1,500 for, and it's six to eight weeks and I have to drive, you know, to the border of Connecticut to do it. So it's, it's a time commitment. It's a financial commitment. I can take the fast track downtown Hartford and go, you know, get over to the, the cold building pretty easily. Like, 
and it's cheaper. It's a lot cheaper. You know, welding course at three hundred bucks. Hell yeah! Can I sign up now? Well, <laughs> as, as far as Chris is concerned, border Connecticut. I might as well be out of the country. Yeah, yeah I know. It's, right? like, it's like I know. <laughs> it's well, called it's the CT it's, Startup it's, Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> if he's driving that car, he yeah, has in the garage. Yeah, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's every trip is a long trip in that one. Trust me. And I also want to make sure that people know that I don't want the makerspace to get pigeonholed. Oh, it's just for training. It's just for retraining. It's just mm-hmm. for education. The one space can cater to many different needs. I mean, entrepreneurs can come in and do product development, even yep. short production runs. Uh, hobbyists can come in and do whatever they want, whatever you know sparks their imagination. And a lot of times these things turn into viable products and unintended products. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a, a guy that liked Super Mario, and in the game there's these lights that hang from the ceiling, and you run around and you punch them, and they light up and they make a sound. The guy's like, well, that's cool. So he built one at the makerspace, and it works. You hit it, and it makes a sound, and it turns on. And then his friends wanted some, and pretty soon he did a Kickstarter campaign. And, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars later, what started out as a lark turned into a business, an unintended business. And that's part of the power of the makerspace. Uh, but the one space can serve many different elements of the community for different reasons, ed- educational, artistic, mm-hmm. uh, hobbyists, entrepreneurs, and that's part of the power. Yeah. You know, I was definitely thinking about entrepreneurs. Uh, as, a, as a person who works with, with quite, a, quite a few entrepreneurs and with uh, some engineering students out of UConn and Yale, um, you, can, you know, often they graduate, they may not have direct access to all the resources they immediately had while they're in the university, and they're still looking to do product development, and they're trying to find the right space to do that work in. Right, absolutely. And we've gone out and are developing relationships with UConn, UHA, Trinity, and all the schools because some of those schools might have a heavy entrepreneurial um, uh, program, but not necessarily access to a makerspace. And some of those schools have that. And certainly with UConn moving down to Hartford mm-hmm. and Trinity, it's a great opportunity to offer some of these options and, and resources to those students. And as you mentioned, when they graduate, where do they go? You know, if they don't have it in their garage or their backyard. Mm-hmm. And the real game changer is it's always been very hard to develop hardware products. Very expensive, mm-hmm. stop-gated process, uh, long-term investment for things like that. And the makerspace allows people to go in, often using their own discretionary funds, and build working prototypes, mm-hmm. something that was virtually impossible to do for a small business. Uh, venture capital doesn't want to fund this type of development because it's so risky. But if you can get in there and for a one one hundredth of the normal cost, build a working prototype, maybe do a Kickstarter campaign, that's considered proof of concept. Mm-hmm. If you have a good Kickstarter run, you can actually start to look for some serious funding after that. Yeah. And that's a game changer. We were actually, ta- I think it was on the last podcast or something, we were talking about how uh, it's happened on like Kickstarters now where there's some Chinese companies that like will go and see a Kickstarter real quick and they'll see it and they'll reverse engineer it real quick right. and, then, and then have it on like <laughs> before. Uh, the yeah, exactly. Product. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. It's brutal out there. But, uh, but honestly, like I, I almost kind of compare a makerspace to a co-working space, and in the in the ways that like you're, you, you, it's not just one thing, right? Uh, they a lot of them succeed because of the programming that's in them, or the the kind of different programs or events that they kind of offer, and then it's also a different, you know, you can have entrepreneurs, you can have students in a co-working space. It's like you can have entrepreneurs, 
again, or another subset where it's just like a graphic designer or a, right. a lawyer going in there kind of a thing and helping out. So it's like, I think that there's, there's, there's Nobody a way. Wants that. What? No, no. <laughs> especially from you. Nobody especially from that. you. <laughs> yeah. Well, you talked to a lawyer one time three years ago and you're on a podcast with them three years later. So I mean, yeah, it yes, happens. Exactly. <laughs> wrong yeah, exactly. Um, but it's, it's one of those things where I feel like it, it, um, the, the fact that it, it is so diverse is what, it, it, that's actually the strength, right? This, I, I think collaboration yeah. is critical. And, and I think some of the kinds of collaboration, if you have some people working um, in the area where they're doing sewing or they're creating something, you have somebody else that's working on some mm -hmm. sort of Bluetooth mechanism and they're like, you know, it would be really cool if we could make a headband and put this connectivity in it. That's a beautiful collaboration. Mm -hmm. When you're looking at co-working as well, many, many makerspaces have large co-working elements in them. Often you'll find that um, to a larger degree in an urban area where space is at a premium. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's really important, but I think it all ties into the collaboration and the convenience. And I think mm -hmm. something else that we talk about a lot is the work-play-live environment. And a lot of people are looking for that third place. Yeah, yeah the community element's actually really important. There's a lot of very knowledgeable, very accomplished people in the greater Hartford area and if we can engage them, get them to come in and use the equipment and to pass on some of what they know. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've got engineers from Pratt & Whitney and Sikorsky and a lot of these other companies that are just, you know, top of their fields. They yep. may be retired or semi-retired, and I'm sure they'll want to come in and work on their own projects. But my guess is you get enough of them, they're going to share their expertise. And pretty soon if somebody comes in with a project and they don't really know everything they need to know, they can, you know, we can probably say, hey, go talk to Bob about software yep. or go talk to Jim about CNC machining or, or so on. And then that community really becomes a resource and helps break down barriers and, and help people succeed where they otherwise might not be able to. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that a lot with the, with retired engineers because I mean a lot again a lot of the people that are at those UTC companies or, or anywhere else I mean they end up leaving but then coming back as a consultant or yeah. training the people I mean I my uh, my, my girlfriend's grandfather uh, who just recently passed away he he I think retired from uh, Pratt maybe twenty years ago and he's been training people ever since right yeah. he 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 was he any anything about meteor metallurgy metallurgy right that was his thing <laughs> and again you got. In a, in a random bar, you got him talking about that, he would go on and on. Yeah. So to be around younger people who are want to get into and that. People, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> into metallurgy. These yes. people are virtually <laughs> irreplaceable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. These people are irreplaceable. There's yeah. no one going to school that's going to you know fill his shoes anytime yeah. soon. There just yeah. aren't enough people getting into the, the STEM yeah. um, type uh, of work, you know, your science, technology, engineering, and math. And I like to call making like the sexy younger brother of STEM because yeah. instead of saying, you know, hey, do you want to learn some science and, you know, technology and engineering? Hey, you want to come operate a robot? You want to do yeah. some coding? You want to hack your phone? You want to do some 3D printing or laser cutting? Yeah. Hack you can see how that phone. would yeah. be <laughs> a lot more engaging to the youth. And yeah. they don't have to know that it's essentially a prelude to advanced manufacturing. They're mm -hmm. learning some engineering. They're learning some technical skills. They're learning to operate, you know, really relevant equipment. Yeah. And it's fun. Yeah. And, and growing up, uh, that was something that always appealed to me far more than sitting in class getting talked to. Yep. You and, and it seemed like every year I would get a taste of shop class, and then the next year they would, before I could get take through anything, away. they would take it away. Yeah, well, they, 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 they closed did. a lot of shop classes, yeah. especially right. as we yeah. were growing up. Yeah. And that's still the case, and it's all 
driven budgetarily, a uh, lot of decisions. Well, and so automotive, I know a lot of automotive classes are taken away because the kids can't work on the cars. Yeah. They just can't work on, the, they can't change their own oil. Like, you know, they're a lot so of them, depressing. So it's, yeah, it's I got to do my an, brakes. Yeah. And it's not. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't. Just use your feet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's yeah. not getting passed on from father to son or father yeah. to daughter anymore either, or mother to daughter or whatever. Mm-hmm. But. You know, the, a lot of times the parents weren't exposed to it, and of course their children aren't exposed to it. And how are they ever going to learn these skills? You know, they're not. So I, I, I have some questions about the the space. And so we know it's going to be in the Colt Building. How big is it going to be? And you know, what are, are people going to be able to do larger projects here? Or is this going to be like? Are we going to you know? Are we going to be smaller? Like I'm, I'm interested. You want to bring the car in? I want to bring the car <laughs> in. <laughs> do you have a lift? It's uh, yeah. Do you have a lift? It's Fifteen thousand square feet. So the car will fit. And here's the thing. <laughs> about cars we can't allow gas in the building so you have to take a fuel tank out if you want to bring a car in but if you wanted to bring in say a, a race car weld in a roll cage or something you could do that uh, if you wanted to build something from scratch you could do that too we have two bending and welding and everything you'd need to build a race car electric chassis. car i could build you an electric that too. just no gas i can work around this yep I can you make know, this happen. It's just because of the historic building and the school and everything yeah. else. There's just certain things like gasoline that are a problem. Yeah, that's why won't, they won't let me bring my dog into the office either. But, you know, yep. <laughs> gas. Wow. So so it was four, four years, right? <laughs> what? what? No, I was just, what if that was a <laughs> no, stretch. No, yeah. <laughs> this used to be, this yeah. used to be a right. professional yeah. podcast. Yeah, it really was. <laughs> Um, so you said four years ago, right? You said you were gonna get, you were gonna commit to it stretched to four. So there was like a two year, and then there was like a four year stretch. Okay, right. And so you said you said something about you you wanted to try to figure out like the environment and to see if people wanted it and to see that kind of stuff. So all tell critical us, yeah, when yeah. you're starting a business. Let, let, let's talk a little bit about that because like the customer discovery phase. Because obviously for again maker spaces and for other people who are trying to do co working spaces, it's, it's very similar process in trying to understand it, where to go, how to make the right. Partnership, so I think initially uh, what was most important was to understand what was out there mm-hmm. and start talking to the existing spaces, you know, and find out who who was going there, how big were they, what the draw was, and then was really important to find out politically who was in favor of these types of facilities. Yeah. That takes a while, um, and then it's important to go out there and find out who your constituency is. Yeah. Um, now, can you talk more about where you got the some of the ideas and influence some of the other maker spaces that you got? You, you said you went out to the uh, in San, San Mateo. Mateo. Yeah. So we went out to the Maker Fair. Make Media is in California, and Dale Doherty is colloquially known as the father of making. And so we had a Maker Summit, New England Maker Summit, last November 17th. We partnered with University of Hartford. And we had about 250 people for the day at University of Hartford to talk about making, at which we had Dale Doherty. He came and spoke. We also had Mark Hatch, who is one of the co-founders. The pre- yeah, the previous CEO of uh, Tech Shop, another very large making yeah, chain or yeah. a for-profit. We also had Bonnie Coda, who is um, with the Higher Order of Thinking for Schools in Connecticut. Yeah. And we had someone from Chattanooga talk about Gig City and how they took the dirtiest city in America and reinvented it as a Chattanooga. Yeah, Yeah, Chattanooga's blowing up. A lot of people are big time. And really, that whole summit was about why making matters. Why should it matter to me? You You know, know, why is it? You know, why is it important? And this year, our summit is on November sixteenth at the University of Hartford again, and it's 
themed how making matters. So we're gonna get we're gonna get into the next yeah. rung, but it's really important to understand the landscape and the lay of the land and understand where the pitfalls are when you're mm -hmm. starting a business. Um, if you don't have a huge anchor corporation behind you, you really need to do a lot of legwork to find out what all the objections are mm -hmm. to moving forward with your project and then who your champions and supporters yeah. might be and how my business relates to your business and how we should be linked up for IP and yeah. things like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean and like you're 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 talking about a 15,000 square foot facility. So it wasn't a small makerspace, right? Cuz cuz I assume there was a, there was a point where you're like, well, because a lot of people with the MVP, right, they get a couple of people, they're like, you know, let's do a small build out, let's get a thousand square feet, two thousand square feet. I mean, there's a makerspace below our new space in Meriden, which uh, I don't know if right. you've uh, been to, but that's a nice little unique Nesset? place. Yeah, Nesset. Yeah, so it's right there. Nice little small space. Very so, cool. so it's like, why the 15,000 versus, again, a Nesset type? It's a very of considered <laughs> choice. When we went to the MakerCon, basically, it's a you have a, a problem. You either have a small space that's volunteer run, that's very, you know, inexpensive, that doesn't pay much rent, that has mostly used or hand-me-down equipment or loaned equipment, or you have a space like we're trying to do where the equipment is new and it's well-supported and the parts are available. They're have, employees that have, have specific job responsibilities. Staff and, you know, a very robust facility that can build almost anything. And the problem is between about three or four thousand square feet, where the, you know, the um, tipping point is the tipping point where the all volunteer organization just can't keep up with the demand, but yet you don't have enough equipment to charge much of a, mm -hmm. a membership fee. And then you've got what they call the valley of death right up into about 12,000 square feet, which is where you finally have enough equipment to justify a higher membership and to have enough people to come in and support the endeavor. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you don't need a makerspace CT type facility necessarily in every town. Connecticut's a small state. Anyone in Connecticut could drive an hour and have access to just about all the equipment you could ever mm -hmm. want. Um, and But, you know, you've got smaller spaces scattered about, and you can do a lot of development at the smaller spaces and then drive to our facility when you really need this big Some have, like, smaller equipment. feeders at the libraries exactly. and this. And well, kind of yeah, and we've talked with the other spaces about having a reciprocal library card type of agreement with Ooh, them. Ooh, that'd be oh. neat. Yeah. yeah, we definitely want to support the other maker spaces in the state. Uh, we're going to be putting up some message boards, for instance, where they can take advantage and have their own message boards. Mm -hmm. If someone's interested in making, they can go to our site and find out what the resources are near them. And hopefully it'll be a source for all things making in Connecticut. Yeah. So, so really, the the big need was that there needed to be a big makerspace, not not these smaller makerspaces anymore. They're not this kind hardware of hardware oriented. Yeah. What we felt was really needed was hardware oriented. When you look at what entrepreneurs go through with their seed money, they're spending eighty five percent of their seed money sending their prototype off, you know, their plans off to Shenzhen yeah. to come yep. back, and you know. We really want to assist in that whole process and find a way that perhaps this entrepreneur can spend 5% of their seed money instead of 85 and have something that they mm. themselves have worked to create with their own hands, learn how to use the equipment. Big and well-equipped enough to make an economic impact in the area. You guys had mentioned that even per perhaps small production runs might be possible at your space, which is, that's cool. I mean, I've had some buddies that have tried to pull things together and that one of the walls they always run into is all of a sudden we don't have the equipment and i don't know if this is just an idea or it's a good idea or a great idea but i'm not about to invest five thousand dollars into it right and now they can invest in some materials use our facility for a hundred something dollars a month and actually do a production run 
Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if we'll let them do two or three in a row, but they can <laughs> do one. Depends and on how busy we are at 3 a.m. You know, we'll be as accommodating as we can. Yeah. You know, it's important to us to grow local businesses, and the maker spaces have just proven to be just a wellspring of new and unintended businesses. Uh, mm-hmm. The Square credit card reader was actually physically yeah. developed in a makerspace, and it wouldn't be where it is now, a $9 billion company, if it hadn't been for the access to a tech shop when they were doing the prototyping. Yeah. So they couldn't get funded with a with the idea. They actually built the working prototype before they got funding. Yeah, and it's a you you should tell the rest of the story. It's kind of amusing. <laughs> well, they apparently then with the venture capital said we got this great idea. There are two restaurateurs in uh, California, and they said you know we want to build this little credit card reader. It works with your phone. And the venture capital is like, there's no way this is going to work. You're going up against an entrenched banking industry worth billions and billions of dollars. And they're like, fine. And it just so happens that Tech Shop had opened their first uh, facility in Menlo Park. And uh, they went there, and they didn't really tell anyone what they were doing. They worked there for about three months. They built a series of prototypes, and they ended up with one that worked with an iPhone. They went back to venture capital, and famously they took the venture capitalist personal credit cards, ran them through, showed them how it works, and they kept the $500 or so that they had uh, scanned off their cards. <laughs> but the the fact that they had a working prototype got them funded, and the company would not be where it's at today, you know, without that prototype and without the tech shop. Is that Jack Dorsey's? See the I don't know. Square, right? Yeah, the square credit yeah, card reader. I feel like Jack Dorsey, the, the CEO of Twitter. Don't look at that. me. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I have a square reader. Never use it. But Okay, so, so let's say, uh, you know, uh, Makerspace CT is a phenomenal success. Um, two years from now, you've accomplished what you want to accomplish here. Where do you go next? What's your what's the long-term goal beyond that? We can do it once. We can do it again. Well, <clears throat> two years, you think? Bada-bing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, um I think there are so many programs and so many opportunities that will evolve from this that I don't think in two years we'll have even scratched the surface of what's Mm -hmm. plausible in this area. Mm -hmm. Because I think, you know, once you look at schools, then you look at certain groups, you look at different areas geographically in Connecticut. I think there are so many opportunities. What our plan is for year two is to start a Veterans Making America project. We called it VMAP. And that's an advanced manufacturing program for veterans and open to non-veterans as well. But there's such a tremendous skills gap right now um, with 48% of all the companies that went offshore are now contemplating reshoring. And in New England, we anticipate about a a little over 110,000 unfilled advanced manufacturing positions within the next 10 years in New England alone. And if you multiply that by a factor of 2.5, which are all the feeder supply chain jobs to that one position, we're talking a lot of jobs. And it's not just New England. It's all over Mm -hmm. the United States, certainly. That's why they developed STEM about 15 years ago to try and get more people into these industries. But the problem is the STEM has been very difficult to really realize in the schools in any appreciable way. So we're planning on starting the advanced manufacturing program year two. Again, you know, certainly as a feeder to a lot of the schools where they have Mm multi-year programs for higher level proficiency, we're just interested in getting people in where they can make an honorable wage and support their family and then go on to, you know, higher levels of education. 
And these advanced manufacturing jobs are good, well-paying jobs. Yep. Right. Um, you know, it's not like you're going to go in and it's going to be dirty and smoky and you're going to lose an eye and some fingers. You know, these days it's mostly on the computer, your uh, CAD cam and your CNC machines. Yeah. I think that's one of the problems also is that when you go to a lot of the local schools um, and you talk to the guidance counselors who are giving direction and not only the parents but the guidance counselors that are giving direction and I'm going on because we have an 18-year-old son and we just went through this and going on and on about, you know, Goodwin's here, Goodwin College is here, they have an advanced manufacturing. None of the teachers, none of the guidance counselors had any familiarity with I will say alternative programs. Yeah. Um, and I think that's so important when we look at and we really unpeel this situation. Are we training our kids today for the jobs not only of tomorrow but for today? And you become really mm -hmm. aggravated and upset about this when we understand that there's such a tremendous disconnect mm -hmm. that we've missed the boat so much. And 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 layers of the makerspace the more you get into it and the deeper you understand what a makerspace is the more and more emphatic you become about we have to offer these opportunities to our kids we have to offer more opportunities we have to crack this open so that people we're not going to make our salaries we're not going to feed our families the same way we did years ago being loyal to the corporation and working at the insurance company for the next 50 years you know, we're, everybody's going to be a little piece here and a little piece there, and they're going to do a little bit there. And You're going to craft your own income, mm -hmm. and we need to give people the tools to do that as our society changes. And one of the biggest opportunities ever, really, is going to be the Internet of Things. Um, it's been uh, considered by many knowledgeable people that it's going to be larger than the Internet itself because the Internet of Things is the combination of the real world and then the networking of the Internet. Mm -hmm. So now you've got the real world involved. It's not all virtual anymore. Cisco estimates that it's going to be worth $19 trillion by 2020. And the nice thing about this is you don't need a huge idea. You don't need a big company. You just need a bright idea, something novel. Um, you look at um, like the Nest thermostat that was developed by two or three guys probably in a garage and then they got bought out by a bigger company and it went nationwide but all it takes is a good idea and the makerspace has more than enough equipment to actually allow prototype development. Why don't you just back up for a second and just tell people what the Internet of Things is because Often people don't even know what you're talking about when you say IOT. Yeah, Dave doesn't know about it. He didn't know that. They have clients that are IOT companies. <laughs> I don't know what they do. Yeah, but they're it's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it says IOT. And, and it's basically <laughs> a, a mashup of physical objects, physical hardware, and the internet, which is your connectivity, yep. your communications, your remote control, your telepresence. So it's some form of networking involved with physical hardware, like your car getting updates remotely. Yeah, so uh, Tesla is like, IoT. Yeah, you like know. driving your car with your cell phone like we saw yeah. some guy do. Yeah. You know. So it's using <laughs> sensors and monitors to remotely affect changes, physical yeah. physical changes in another location. And it's things we can't even imagine yet. Someday they'll have little nanobots swimming in your <laughs> bloodstream, and they'll form a mesh network, and they'll update your health monitor real time. Yeah. I mean – they're going to be sprinkling little sensors in the ocean. They'll look for tsunamis and listen to pings from black boxes. I mean, and we were just in an event where they were talking about putting the sensors in the bathroom so that it could connect with your kitchen and talk about what nutrients. I'm trying to clean this up and talk about what nutrients you're missing in your yeah, diet. Yeah, that was a guy. You need to drink the, more water. That's, that's an interesting. That one, was actually. a guy from one of the 3D printer 
companies. That was uh, a strange conversation. <laughs> yeah. I don't really want to have that much analysis. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So uh, so May 5th, you guys are having a uh, throwing a party for me, right? Yep. <laughs> okay. Happy birthday. No. <laughs> and so the Colbys will be playing that night, and Bev Colby, it's her birthday that night as well. She's mm-hmm. the lead singer in the band that's right, playing nice. that night, so it's going to be a big birthday party So yeah, party so night. this is your, your launch event, or what? It's going to be a fundraiser okay. our goal is to get the word out to people that we are coming down the pike and that it's a great thing to get involved with we are looking for support we're mm-hmm. certainly looking for additional funding and any kind of support we can get from the community to help us bring this to fruition nice nice i know so um definitely moving into cult right it's probably you said late late 2017 coming on now members right can you are can you sign up yet can you i mean if None of that? We're not, not ready for okay. sign up yet, but once we get the new floor down, we are going to start holding some events, basically to, to prime the pump, so to speak. Mm-hmm. We'll offer some classes on uh, laser cutting and 3D printing and things of that nature. Okay. You know, really fun, interesting stuff. Maybe have some movie nights and get some community going mm-hmm. down at the space. Like so, weird science? Or yeah, weird science. <laughs> Put the real B-rated movies out yeah, there, I was right? going to say, you know, Mystery Science Theater 3000 <laughs> just came yeah, back. I was like all those things, like, like real genius. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Manos, Hand of Fate. I'm waiting for the, the remake of Blade Runner. That's yeah. Ooh. <laughs> nice. So, um, so if people are interested, where can they go to reach out to you? Where can they go to connect with you? Our website's probably the easiest place, which is Makerspace ct.com that's all spelled out m-a-k-e-r-s-p-a-c-e-c-t.com and there's information about the may 5th event plus how to contact us the equipment we're going to have what the facility is going to look like you know all the different shops that we have yeah nice, and nice. tickets are available on eventbrite makerspace.ct.eventbrite cool. and, and just for you guys are doing this as a non-profit correct absolutely okay we are a 501c3 yep. and we will have all of this information in our show notes we will Yes, yes, you will. And uh, the parents out here should really be interested in this because this is the kind of place where your kid can really flourish, really get a grasp on what's going to be successful in the coming decades. Um, Being versatile is important. If you can do a little bit of coding, a little bit of electronics, you can actually physically make things. Those type of skills are very valuable. Uh, We call it problem-solving skills. And unfortunately, you can't learn those. You can't Mm -hmm. learn them in a book. You have to physically do things and fail often repeatedly and then succeed and you get the confidence and you get the background where you can tackle more and more difficult projects and succeed. Yep. And, and I think the other thing to be aware of is that many schools now are accepting portfolios as opposed get, to SAT scores as you well. You can get yeah. it to MIT with a maker portfolio. Businesses you've started, products you've developed, skills you know that you've worked huh. on. And you don't even need a traditional application anymore. Geez, I didn't have to take that test. Nope. Mm. For you, yes, you did. <laughs> yes, you did. Um, <coughs> now, uh, and while you're typing CT into your web browser, uh, if people want to learn more about Makerspace CT or any of the topics uh, that we cover in the show, they can go to ctstartup.com. They can. That was we, smooth, Dave. Thank you. We are on, uh, we are on uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play. Are we on Google Play yet, Eric? We were, uh, Eric, we're not I, on I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of Google people. That's why. No, I'm just saying. Oh, yo. <laughs> out the window. There goes that audience. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, everybody's on iPhones. I love you, Google people. Uh, we've been telling people for two episodes. I know, now I know. I got to do it. I'm Google do it. people. Yeah, yeah. Chris is going to do it this time. So. 
This is what I get right. for being the producer. Yeah. By the time you listen to this, we'll be on Google Play. Yeah, we will be. So <laughs> let my Android people go. Uh, if you want to be on CT Startup, please uh, go to our website, send us an email, uh, follow us on Twitter, or uh, reach us on Facebook, and let us know uh, what you're doing, and we'll get back to you. Yep. And finally, if you go on iTunes or Google Play when that's available. <laughs> Please leave us a review. Yes. Uh, send us some stars. We'll send you back some love. So Dave mostly. Yes. Mostly me. <laughs> yeah. We won't. I'm the lover. Yeah. <laughs> he'll he'll leave you a personalized phone call thanking you. <laughs> so leave your number. All right, Deborah, Brian, thank you for coming. Thanks All for right, having, thanks us. For having us. Thank you for listening to the CT Startup Podcast. We want to thank our audio sponsor, the Murphy Kalina Law Firm, our guests for their time and input, our production company, Sublime Exposure Online, and of course you, our listeners, for helping make all this possible. Make sure to check out our Facebook page, our webpage at ctstartup.com, and our Twitter at ctstartupcast. And please make sure to join our newsletter for all the latest information on the connected startup soon.